Hello everyone and welcome back to the Skyrim audio adventure. I might sound a little bit different this time, that's because one, I got a pop filter for Christmas, and two, I had food poisoning and vomited so hard I completely threw out my voice, and it hasn't really come back yet. I got a couple announcements. Number one, a really big, massive thank you to my two inaugural patrons on Patreon, Carol, Avery, and Matt Dombrowski. Big thanks to them for supporting the show, and if you want to support the show yourself, then go ahead and click on the Patreon link in the description. Now, I am generally speaking a very private individual. I don't really go on social media, I don't really have any social media to speak of, but I recently created a Discord account for the purposes of playing D&D, and it occurs to me that it might be a good idea to create a Discord for this channel so that I can be more accessible to you guys. Let me know what you think about that idea, but for the time being... Let's begin with Chapter 6 of the Skyrim audio adventure, Making a Dead Man Rich. A long time ago, a child would spend his days sitting on the roofs and decks by the docks, breathing in the fresh air far away from the pungent sewers, watching boats drift across the massive lake like clouds. He watched the deckhands work up a sweat, then dive into the lake as soon as they got a break. Many of them cut through the water with the ease of the fish they hunted. Some even seemed to be able to breathe underwater. They made it look simple. They made it look easy. So easy that one fine day, the child desired to try for himself. The shingles were rough, but his calloused feet protected him as he scrambled down the roof and leapt onto the docks. He dodged between barrels and crates, trying to stay out of the workers' way. The docks were always busy, smelling of fish oil and sweat. A waif wouldn't be welcome in this place of toil, so he passed as quietly as he could. He made for the old broken pier, the one that no one would be using. When he finally arrived, it was a grand view. The shimmering surface of the lake set aflame by the afternoon sun. He'd waited till then because he understood that that was when the water was supposed to be the warmest. He took off the rags he called clothes and hid them carefully under a mossy abandoned net. They weren't much, but they were all he had. He curled his toes over the edge of the wooden planks. The winds blew bold, brazened energy right into his tiny bones, and he leapt. The fall was a little farther than he'd expected. The water was wetter and colder than he'd expected. He struck out with his arms and legs, and like a cork, he bobbed to the surface. He gasped from the cold and started to move like he'd seen the sailors move. Slowly but surely, he started to go forward. His head dipped unexpectedly under the water, but it was easy enough to push a little harder to get back to the air. He felt something primal in him remind him to not be separated from the air. The ripples he made in the water lapped against his small chin as he moved along. Again, his head was unexpectedly submerged, and he had to correct it. 
but something was wrong. The air here, just above the surface, was thin. It wasn't giving him any energy. His muscles were tiring at an alarming rate. Was he doing this right? He wasn't sure. He kicked harder, trying to run through the water to push himself up, but suddenly it wasn't doing any good. He was sinking. One last desperate mouthful of air, and his world turned eerie and silent. His eyes, afraid to close, filled with the murky gloom. The sun wobbled weirdly above him, and in one last-ditch effort he lunged for it, trying to grab it. Cold kissed his fingertips as his hand broke the surface, but that was all. His last breath was spent, his lungs burning, his limbs so wrung he couldn't feel them. The bubbles escaped his lips, and his world grew dark, falling slowly into the abyss. As he fell, his last thoughts were that it had seemed so simple. It had seemed so easy. Now his world was dim shapes and crushing pain in his chest and head. The monsters were coming for him now. He saw them racing towards him out of the mire. A scaly arm wrapped itself firmly about his chest and began pulling him to the surface. That was all the hunter could think of as Ayla danced around him preparing her next strike. How did she make it look so easy? It was just like back then. Everything he tried was failing. Everything he was sure would solve this problem only made things worse. Again, he was slipping into the dim. He was falling. Then, Ayla let go of his neck and the ground rushed up to meet him. He barely got his hands out in time to break his fall. The wooden sword clattered down next to him. And that's how you would do it if you wanted them to live. Ayala lectured to the children as the hunter's head cleared. If you know how to choke them and when to let go, you could knock anyone out without even hitting them. The hunter almost laughed at this last part. She had hit him. She'd hit him more times than he could count. His elbows, shins, and gut would all have nice bruises in the morning, if they didn't already. He was pretty sure she'd caught him in the privates at one point, but everything hurt so much he couldn't tell. At first, he thought he'd been doing alright. He'd been parrying most of her blows, well, parrying in a sense. She went for his head and he parried with his shoulder. She went for his ribs and he parried with his elbow. Soon enough, his arms had become slow, and Ayala's speed seemingly doubled. She jabbed and slapped and whacked him to her heart's content, which was apparently quite a lot. He glanced to the wooden sword laying to his right and at his incomplete hand. He wished for a moment that he knew how to quit, then shakily picked up the toy sword and stood to face Ayala again. Ayala continued her lesson. However, sometimes even when you show mercy, a lowly bandit will still raise his blade against you. So then what should you do? Finish them! The kids cheered. Well, if you insist. Ayala flipped the small wooden sword in her hand and turned back to the hunter. The hunter placed his sword in his left hand. It had worked for archery, why wouldn't it work for this? He squared off with the huntress and readied himself to engage. To his credit, he blocked her first two strikes, 
not as in he let them hit somewhere else. These were wood-to-wood legitimate blocks. They were clumsy and flailing, but hey, he would take it. Unfortunately, his movements were so exaggerated and he was so focused on controlling his offhand that what happened next was almost inevitable. After his second block, Ayala flicked the sword and slapped at his wrist, opening him up for an offhand strike. She switched her stance, practically stepping through him, and drove her fist so deep into his solar plexus, he was knocked straight on his ass. He sat there for a moment and tried to breathe. When his lungs didn't seem to want to, he keeled over and rolled onto his side, curling and trying to find air. Ayala turned back to the kids, and the hunter saw stars. And boots, strangely enough. Just as he was managing to get some small breaths in, he looked up to see Bracknell crouching over him. As much as I'm enjoying the spectacle of an honor-bound warrior beating up a hobo, he grinned a crooked grin, I think it's time you and I got serious about this. The hunter pulled himself into a sitting position and shot the old Nord a quizzical look. (laughs) What could you possibly be talking about? I know this isn't how you fight. All these blocks and stances. This is how the companions fight, and what you want to learn. I thought this was supposed to be a test. It is a test. But you didn't survive a vampire attack fighting like this. It's time to fight your fight. The hunter felt he understood. My fight, he echoed. That's right. Bracknell clapped him on the shoulder, making him wince. Besides... You've drawn something of a crowd. You don't want to be embarrassed in front of all these louts, do you? The hunter glanced around, and sure enough, the market square was ringed with a modest group of onlookers. Especially that guy, Bracknell said, pointing. The hunter followed his gaze to a heavily armored Nord, with streaks in his beard and glowering eyes. That big lout right there bet me you wouldn't be able to land a single shot on the Wolf of Whiterun, and I took him up on that. The hunter's ribs hurt too much to laugh. That's a really dumb thing to bet your money on. Well, technically I didn't bet my money. The hunter shot him a glare. Relax, I didn't bet your money either. I bet the dead messenger's money. So, come on. Get out there and make a dead man rich, why don't you? The hunter looked up and sighed. I suppose there are worse reasons. Help me out of these furs. To everyone's surprise, the hunter began to shed clothing. First his gauntlets and top, then even his boots came off and were carried by Bracknell back to their pile of gear on the impromptu sidelines. The hunter breathed deep and felt the air around him. It was not frigid like high on the mountains, and it was not mild and humid like the deep forests. It was brisk and dry. He leaned forward and ran his fingers down his feet and threaded them between his toes, feeling the calluses on both. A blister he hadn't noticed till now stung as he let in breath. The cool air felt good on his new bruises and his old scars. His ears picked up some low murmurs from the onlookers. He'd always waved off the Nordic notion that he should be proud of his scars and maladies. He'd made mistakes, that's why he'd been hurt. But here, in front of all these people... Wearing the hardships of the past week on his flesh for all to see, he finally understood it. You realize there are children present, came Ayala's chastising tone. That doesn't seem to bother you, the hunter replied easily. 
The companion seemed to stiffen in her minimalist armor, but then gave him a wicked grin and switched her sword to a backhand grip. He stood up, slow, and raised his arms in a stretch. Finally, he bent down and took up the toy sword, and they began again. Ayala, as usual, made the first move. She came in low and swiped up. Had the toy been a real dagger, the hunter would have been slit from his nuts to his chin. However, when the strike arrived, the hunter wasn't there. He was moving away on the back foot. This was not unusual in itself, but unlike previous engagements, the hunter wasn't being forced. He was controlled, balanced, and relaxed. He'd disposed of any semblance of a formal fighting stance. Ayala pressed forward with three more swipes, but they all missed as the hunter stayed out of range. Fight, you coward! came a shout from the onlookers, but the hunter ignored it. Ayala pursued, and he continued to evade. She was faster than him, but the distance gave him time to react. Until finally, he felt what he'd been waiting for. His back foot brushed the wooden post of the large awning outside Belathor's general goods store. He spun around it, putting it between him and Ayala. She scowled and tried to skirt around it, but he circled, not willing to give up his protection so easily. They danced side to side for a brief moment. Then Ayala surged forward and stabbed at him from around the post. What followed only took a couple seconds. The hunter spun into the post, dodging the strike and catching the arm. He yanked the arm over his shoulder and kicked back like a mule at Ayala's leg. He felt her foot slip out from under her and a solid thud against the post. A grunt told him that it had been her face. She threw an offhand hook at his ribs, but he was already spinning away and it was a glancing blow. He backed away towards the second post. Ayala recovered and bore in on him fast before he could get to it. However, for the first time it seemed all evening, the hunter moved forward. He threw his own feet out from under him and fell onto his side, rolling away from her. His arm swung around and wrapped around the back of her knees. Before Ayala could react, she was falling, and the next post was rushing to meet her. She had to throw out both hands to stop herself from going face to post for a second time. As she caught herself, the hunter scrabbled backwards to the first post. Ayala whipped around on a knee and threw her weapon at him. It clattered off the post he was hiding behind and landed on the ground near Belathor's door. The merchant tentatively stuck his head out to see what was going on. For a brief moment, the hunter looked at the thrown weapon with interest, but knowing Ayala would either beat him to it or just pound him to a pulp once she got there, he instead darted away, making for the well in the center of the square. What do you mean that wasn't a hit? He has to hit it with the sword or it doesn't count. At what point was that part of the deal? It's a duel, isn't it? No, it's not. It's a fight. Now pay up. The hunter ignored the chatter as he approached the well, a raised stone circle covered by an iron grate. A bucket was attached to a rope wrapped tightly around a suspended wooden bar with a hand crank. He furiously started to turn the crank, adding as much slack to the rope as he could. Then, shoving his arm into the bucket, he turned around just in time to block Ayala's next blow with his improvised shield. The huntress's eyes were fierce. After two more ineffective slashes against the bucket, she went low to attack his legs. The hunter leapt up onto the well, but Ayala was too quick. She adjusted and swiped at his knees, causing them to buckle. He took a solid strike across his jaw and tumbled off to the side. 
As he scrambled to his feet and brought the bucket back up, the huntress flew at him like an arrow and knocked him back with a flying double-legged kick. The hunter hit the ground and slid several feet from the sheer force of it, and he was emphatically separated from his bucket. Ayla had of course fallen too, but she was already back up and coming at him trying to seize the moment he was helpless. The hunter came up to a knee and parried, actually parried. Then he ducked a swing and sprung back to the well. He turned around to see Ayla, now thoroughly perturbed, stalking after him. She seemed a little slower, but it was probably a deception. Staying focused, the hunter grabbed the rope and yanked as hard as he could. Ayla's eyes flew open wide in brief realization before the bucket came skidding up from behind and knocked her legs out from under her. She fell flat on her back, and the crowd gasped. She looked up to see the hunter standing atop the well, spinning, twirling the rope and bucket above his head like a flail. With a spin and a grunt, the bucket was sent flying her way. She dodged easily and took hold of the rope, bringing it in with her as she charged the well. The hunter dropped the rope and ducked behind the well as the bucket was returned in kind. It flew over his head and clattered across the stone of the square. Ayela came right after it, hurtling the well and stabbing down at him. He skirted around and she spun to keep him in her sights. He made to leap back onto the well, but she matched him, trying to meet him in the middle. She struck. He dodged, pressed her arm against the crossbar of the well with his sword hand, and punched her square in the nose with his free hand. It was a hit. A solid, undeniable hit. He looked at her almost apologetic for a moment. Then she smiled at him, and there was something different in her eyes. Had her teeth always been that long? The wolf of Whiterun ripped away the hand pinning her arm and yanked it, rolling and throwing him off the well. He felt her warrior strength as he was sent sprawling onto the ground. She was on him again in an instant, striking harder and faster than before. His ribs, his neck, his knees, his liver, his temple. He wanted to buckle, but he couldn't. He wanted to block, but that was a losing battle. He wanted to get back to the well, but she was in his way. In one last act of desperation, the hunter did what she wasn't expecting and just flung himself at her. Of course she was ready for it. Of course she threw her hip into him and flipped him over. Of course, this had been exactly what he'd hoped for. Anticipating the throw, the hunter jumped as he left the ground and landed on his feet. He swiftly made for the well, jumping astride it one last time. He held his arms out as Ayala watched, smirking. It was an invite to clash, and they both knew it. The huntress darted in, ready to end it, but suddenly the hunter was holding the rope again. He yanked, and Ayala's eyes reflexively went to the ground looking for the rope and bucket, but the rope was nowhere near her legs, and it wasn't moving. She looked back up, but it was too late. The hunter had leapt off the well and was soaring to her, arms raised for a two-handed strike. The rope had been a ploy, and now she had no time to dodge. She had no choice but to raise her sword to block his. A crack reverberated off the shops and stalls of the market, and half of Ayela's sword clattered onto the stone. For a moment, the hunter couldn't believe what he'd done. Then sheer elation filled his chest, and the thrill of victory took hold. As Ayela stared stoically back at him, he raised his arm and imperiously touched the wooden blade to Ayala's cheek. His wrist almost snapped in three places, and in a flash, Ayala was holding his own sword to his throat. 
He hadn't seen any of what had just happened, even though he'd been looking right at it. Whatever had happened, his missing finger throbbed terribly. He was down on his knees and wasn't sure when he got there. A yellow one! cried someone, and the modest crowd broke into a smattering of applause. He touched her face, it counts! came Bracknell's shouts. Hey, don't you walk away from me, you big bugger! A hand appeared before his eyes, and he took it in a daze. Ayla pulled him up to his feet and steadied him. He saw her smile at him through her bloody nose. Whatever strangeness had possessed her before had seemingly drained away at the close of the fight. The only reason they're cheering for me is because you made it look like a challenge, she said. You should be proud of that. I see how you survived this long. My sword! It broke! Came a cry to their left, and they turned to see little Mila holding the end of her toy sword with glassy eyes. Don't worry, said the companion, kneeling before the child and tossing Lars his own sword. Don't worry, little one. You don't think I'd leave the city's great defenders unarmed, do you? Tomorrow I'll have a new sword made for you, and I'll have the master of the Skyforge inscribe the blade with mystical runes to keep it strong. As she said this, a second crack pierced the evening, and Lars approached with the two pieces of his sword. Uh, mine broke too. Bracknell and Ayala had a hard time getting the hunter into his furs and boots. They had a harder time getting him up the stairs to the inn. The man was a bigger mess than usual, all sweat-streaked hair and a fat lip. His knees were gone and he leaned heavily on both of them to get into the inn. And even then they had to pause for him to spit blood into the bushes by the entrance. For her part, Ayala was looking a bit frazzled from the exertion and sweat, but her bloody nose was already gone. She helped Bracknell get the hunter inside and situated at a corner table and wandered off to the bar. Bracknell took his seat and peered at the hunter propped against the wall. How are you feeling? he asked. The hunter was leaning back, brow knitted, eyes closed, and lips parted in a silent groan. He glanced at the old Nord from under a heavy lid. I feel like I deserve some hunting brew mead. Bracknell smiled. Well, thanks to you, we can actually afford it. So you got your money then? I did, but it wasn't easy. That big cow cranker doesn't like how you fight. I don't think most Nords would like the way you fight, Ayla said as she returned to the table. Here, drink this. She handed the hunter a small vial filled with a curious dark red substance. This doesn't look like mead, the hunter said, irritated. You need to drink this first, Ayla insisted. Is this blood? It's kind of viscous. Bracknell leaned in and peered at the vial. Oh, that's just the blister wart. It's a potion of healing. Why is it chunky? The hunter asked, holding it out and away from him. That's actually a good question. Why is it chunky, Ayala? The huntress shrugged. Holda says she keeps a few vials around for bad hangovers. It might be a little old, but shake it up and it should be fine. The hunter did so and popped the cork. He tentatively brought the small potion to his lips and sipped. He froze, eyes wide and shimmering brown from behind his dark locks. His face slowly pinched into a look of absolute disgust. He glared at the two. Ayala glared right back, as she always did. What were you expecting? Snowberry juice? Next time, just toss it back, Bracknell offered as the hunter fought to swallow the gloppy concoction. It tasted like how infected feet smell. 
When he finally got outside the potion, he sat back and gulped in air. Now get the rest down, then we can talk Mead. Bracknell looked to Ayala as she took her seat. Sure, what do you think? Mead sounds good to me, Ayala said, resting her elbows on the table. No, not that. What do you think about getting the lads some training? I know what you meant, the huntress tapped her chin. I like it. I know the wilds more than most, so I can see how he's pulled it off, but he lacks skill. That's why we're here. He lacks strength. We can fill out his frame a bit. He stinks. That's... Well, that's unfortunate. And he fights without honor. He fights the way he must, Bracknell snapped. I understand that, but who would we get to train him? I can do some, but I almost never carry a sword. Vilkis or Skior wouldn't go for it. Farkas might be too dumb to have an opinion, but... There's no way your friend is lifting a greatsword. Rhea would hate him. So wouldn't Jada. Do I know Rhea? No, you don't know Rhea. She's new. Eager to prove herself, that one. Might be able to use her as a sparring partner. Hmm. Athos? The Dark Elf? Yeah, he lives for fortune and glory, but he knows how to be quick and shifty with a sword. He's our best bet. But why don't you train him? I know you can. Well, someone has to watch, don't they? Ayla rolled her eyes. Sure they do. What about Jorland? Do you think we can handle him? He's stern, but simple. If it's not coin, it's novelty. I'll front the coin, just do your best to be interesting. Come up to Yorvaskir tomorrow morning, we'll see what we can get done. Fine. You ready to be interesting, stranger? Yeah. Since the hunter had choked down the rest of the potion, he'd been sitting still, feeling an uncomfortable rising heat in his neck and limbs. Maybe it was the potion, maybe it was the beating, but he thought he might be sick. He endeavored to take his mind off the feeling by taking a good long look at the bannered mare. Of all the taverns and inns he'd been to, this one was by far the most homey. A fire pit burned in the center, surrounded by benches, making the whole thing feel like camping with a roof. Small round tables lined the walls and were tucked into corners. A modest bar to one side, a doorway that smelled like cooking food to the other. Another doorway on the far side of the room seemed to lead to the guest rooms. The bannered mare was gently packed that night with merchants, farmhands, off-duty guards, and of course, bards. A young, blonde Nord with a freshly shaven face and slick hair was playing a drum. He was playing it rather strangely, electing to hold the drum under his arm so he only had one arm free to play the rhythm. He should be sitting with the drum between his knees, but apparently this bard was more interested in being seen. Sitting at the bar were two figures who seemed oddly regal. One wore a grand multicolored blazer covered in tassels and insignias. His Nord beard was smooth and knotted, and his long hair was braided over his ears. The other Nord was dark-haired, in a long, deep blue robe. His hood was down, and his beard wrapped around his jaw but never reached his chin. With his hooked nose and robes, he was like a perched owl on the stool. You can't tell me that's really Jarl Balgraf over there, Bracknell said astonished. Ayla glanced over to the noble Nord with a careless grin. Oh yes. He's always liked being among the people, but since his wife's passing, this has become more common. Oh, that's terrible. And who's that next to him? At a guess, that's Farangar's secret fire, the court wizard. Oh, wizard, eh? I'm surprised to see him out of his tower. Well, get a good look, because he won't be here long. It's only a matter of time before- Jarl Balgruf! Came a call from the doorway. And here's Irleth. Ayla muttered bored. Oh, oh, gods! 
groaned the Jarl of Whiterun as a lightly armored Dunmer woman came storming into the inn and pulled him away from his drink. Damn it, woman, I'm just having a drink with my people! And we love having you, called the woman tending the bar. Cheers to the Jarl! Cheers! Came the call of the assembled crowd as their fearless leader was dragged away back to his castle. The wizard had made no attempt to help his Jarl and seemed utterly unperturbed at losing his drinking partner. In fact, the hunter saw the same woman that had met them in the street slide into the seat next to him. Ah, uh, Arcadia, he thought her name was. Well, I take it back, Ayla said chuckling. I guess the wizard is not important enough to need protection. Or perhaps he's strong enough to handle himself, Bracknell suggested. Oh, trust me, he's not that kind of wizard. He's all books and theories. I've never even seen him cast a spell. Sadia, wake up, dear, called the woman at the bar. Yes, ma'am, came another voice. Suddenly, a dark-skinned redguard woman with chin-length hair and a series of scars under her left eye came rushing up to their table. Hello, Ayala, she greeted. What can I get you? I'll have a mead and a chop of venison if you have it. We do. We're still working on that deer you brought us yesterday. And what would your, uh, friends like? It was clear she was trying not to say companions. Have you got any soup on? asked Bracknell. Venison stew with carrots and leeks, Sadia confirmed. I'll have some of that, and throw in some fresh bread and a hunting brew mead. Done. What about him? Bracknell and Ayala looked back to the hunter, who was still sitting back and looking a bit peaky. The heat of the potion had reached his lips, and he licked them numbly, squinting at his hands. You know, he said finally, I think that my middle finger on my right hand kind of bends to the right. I just never noticed because I always had the pointer finger to balance it out. Ayala, Bracknell, and Sadia all stared blankly at the hunter till Bracknell cleared his throat. He'll have the same. Hunting brew mead had a definite edge, but it was far smoother than any mead the hunter had ever had. He spent half the time sipping from the bottle and half holding the cool glass to his temples. Once he had had some food, the strange rising heat of the potion was replaced by the floating feeling of inebriation. The soup had been fantastic. The venison had just about melted in the pot. The fat of the tundra deer had rendered and thickened the broth. It was sumptuous, and when combined with the warm, feather-soft bread that lived up to all Bracknell's praise, the hunter was left in a state of momentary bliss. He could hardly feel his swollen jaw or any of the other bruises dotting his body. The soup, it seemed, had melted them too. Ayella had ripped her chop of venison apart with her teeth. Now she and Bracknell were leaning back in their chairs, nodding their heads to the gentle sound of the bard drumming and whistling. So, old man, we got drinks, we got time. Spill. What's with the footlocker? Bracknell leaned in, and Ayala followed suit. I made an excursion up to Bleak Falls Mountain. To the barrow? No, the far side, near the reach. Why go so far? Oh, I've been all over lately. Things grow ill on the mountain. The order is out of balance. Something has come. Well, perhaps it has been awakened. Whatever it is, it lingers there, and I just can't find it. I could talk the twins into sniffing around the mountain for a few days. Ah, the companions are heroes. 
and their skills are many, but subtlety is not among them. If barreling around the wood worked, I would have found it by now. That's fair, but don't do anything stupid. It's too late for that. Being stupid is how I came across a blade of winter. A what? Well, I'm not really sure what to call it. I found it stored away in a frozen troll's cave. Ayla pressed her face into her palms. Bracknell, she groaned. Don't worry, the troll hasn't lived there for a year. I think it shacked up with another troll across the valley, but I digress. I found a sword, forged in ice. A hilt of moonstone and crystalline blade carved from some unmelting glacier. It's chilling to the touch and sharp enough to rend flesh like it's cutting air. Everything it touches starts to freeze. And even as it sits idle, you can hear the winter's biting wind coming from it. Ayla nodded slowly. I've heard of enchanted weapons, but this sounds different. This sounds... potent. Why don't you bring it to Farangar? See what he can make of it. I'd not idly put this thing into the hands of anyone I don't know, let alone a wizard. Quit being so stubborn. Look who's talking. And who do you think taught me? Your mother. I'm the very soul of acquiescence. Where is this thing now? As I recall, it's keeping my drink barrel cool. Ayala returned her face to her palms as Bracknell continued. It was hell getting it back to the treehouse, but I found an old scabbard that seems to be dampening the aura. Still, it won't be long before my whole treehouse is an iceberg, and the noise is dreadful to sleep through, so I need something long and strong that can contain it and keep it quiet. So, you'd really rather commission a footlocker than give a magical artifact to the wizard of a trusted Jarl? Precisely. <sighs> well, I suppose it's your gold. Speaking of which, how much did you make off that bet? Well, the victor here, Bracknell nudged the quiet hunter with his elbow, won five gold. Oh, not bad. Should see you through a couple days here. Thanks. The hunter grumbled, still only half listening to them. Bracknell tried to slap him on the shoulder, but the hunter flinched away, wincing. I think an early bed might be in order for him. And for you. Ayla nodded. You came a long way on foot today. Ah, the night is young for me yet. The elder hunter tossed his bottle back and finished it off. What of the world? What news has come through, Whiterun? Ah, the news is bloody for the most part. Of course. War in the north. Stormcloaks from the Pale attacked an Imperial fort near Morthal. It was a small skirmish and the Legion held the fort, but they also suffered more casualties. It was a probing attack. Seems so. Meanwhile, over in Solitude, they executed the guard who opened the gate for Ulfric. Ah, it was only a matter of time. Nord customs don't matter to the Empire. In the end, the king was killed, and that's enough. In, in tenuous times like these, I can honestly understand it. So can I. Ulfric would have brought war against the Empire whether they accepted his rule or not. What will you do? The Companions will continue to shield the people. I can only hope such noble aspirations survive this war. Anything else? Hmm... Yeah, there was a murder in the middle of Riften and they don't know who did it. Apparently someone snuck into the orphanage and beheaded the old woman who runs the place. I can't remember her name. Grillot. 
The two looked to the hunter, who suddenly seemed very awake. Did you say something, stranger? The hunter's mouth was suddenly dry, and he licked his lips, trying to comprehend what he'd just heard. Her name was Grela the Kind. Thank you for listening to Chapter 6 of the Skyrim Audio Adventure. I'll be back in two weeks, hopefully with a voice that is back to 100%. Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. I've been getting a lot of comments that say something along the lines of they like to listen to this when they go to sleep, and that's very flattering. I hope that my voice wasn't too scratchy today. Also, just because this is like a nice, pleasant, ambient experience, most of the time. That doesn't mean the story isn't going to get real. Oh, it gets real. But that'll hit when it hits. And happy holidays and happy new year to all of you. See you in two weeks. And once again, thanks for listening.